and welcome to the Omarpreneur podcast. And today with me, I have a very special guest, which actually some Muslim entrepreneurs are probably going to hear the name and recognize it. My great brother, Peter Gold. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the podcast, bro. Great to be here, man. Good to, it's, good to chat. Yeah, it's great to have you. And just to let people know who might not know about Gold Studio. So Gold Studio is actually uh, Peter Gold's uh, pretty much agency that he's been running since 2003. He's helped businesses and brands that are widely recognized in the Muslim space, such as Salam Sisters and Five Pillars. And he's involved in developing the original concepts from prototypes. And he's really helped some of the most well-known brands in the Islamic economy while working with recognized multinationals. So we're going to dive a little bit more into that and really what it is that he works on, what his experience is like in, is, what his experience is like in entrepreneurship. But most importantly, I want to know the man behind the brand today, Peter Gold. So as I said, we're going to dive deep into this. And I want to start by having you share what even sparked this idea within you to launch your own design studio. Hey, thanks so much, Abi. Well, yeah, it's um, you know, it's uh, it's been a bit of a journey, you know. And I'm, I just turned forty just a couple of weeks ago, so um, you know, I have to re rewind a little bit back to probably when I was in my teens or and then early twenties, and just I think you know at that time, a bit of a fascination with you know what was the emerging technology, digital tech, you know, the early days of internet, um, early days of you know software like Photoshop was such a big deal. You had to have these big old Macs and, you know, be able to do like basic things. It was kind of mind blowing. So there was just a curiosity and I guess the technology and the potential for that um, from a young age. And, uh, you know, that basically got me interested in what is digital design? What is the intersection of technology and, and you know, creating, you know, at the time was more visual design. So thinking about digital artworks and eventually that kind of sparked an interest in you know, creating, um, you know, early graphic design kind of experiments in, in that time. So I enrolled in a design degree and it kind of snowballed. And, and then I started freelancing. I started getting some, you know, inquiries and people just, hey, well, you know, I see you kind of, you know, mucking around, making some stuff over here that looks cool. Um, can you design us a logo? Can you design us some, you know, what was back then, your early websites? Um, we had this thing called Flash, which was like this, you know, animation kind of program that yes. was, you know, so it was a bit like a wild west of the internet, like, you know, anything, mm -hmm. it was not really standards. It's not like today where everyone kind of, and there was no mobile and it was pre-social media. So that got me interested in just from the technology side and career kind of perspective. I guess what changed that was, you know, became more significant in, in, in the humble and in my own trajectory and in the, uh, the direction of the a design team and was my own spiritual journey. So around that same sort of time, I became interested in Islam, uh, eventually became Muslim um, when I was about 20 uh, and, and started, you know, sort of at the same time kind of starting the, the design business. So the two have already always had this kind of relationship. And while sometimes, you know, focusing on working on big mainstream brands and global brands, other times I've been really about, you know, the role of design is really an amana to, to serve and help people and, and create beauty and, you know, invite people to meaningful types of experiences. So, um, yeah, that's sort of been, that's kind of, I guess, where the spark came and, and how it all began. I love that, man. I love the, the hearing the journey and, and what you've been through in all these stages and growing up when you were going through that design degree, did you always know that you were going to do your own thing and tread your own path or were you not sure? Because I mean, you could have also very well just went and worked for another agency. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a great question. And it's sometimes, you know, 20 years later, you can easily sort of backfill the story a little bit, you know, unintentionally. Um, 
So I'm trying to, you know, sort of remain neutral on, on that part of history. But I really do think that I, I had that, you know, from a young age, that intention to to start some kind of um, company or, you know, have, some, I, you know, I had this idea of like what the space would look like and, you know, what, what kind of, um, uh, not really what kind of projects, but I guess more like, you know, yeah, I, I use computers to do design. How cool is that? <laughs> and now yeah. it's like, uh, is there any other way? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, but I had this idea of um, uh, just the idea of working in graphic design, but specifically, you know, working on a range of projects, which would mean not just working one one company. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but in terms of like, you know, I, I wouldn't claim that I had this clear kind of vision of like, yeah, you know, we're going to have um, we're going to have, you know, different locations in different cities and it's going to look like this and be called that, you know, I, I really yeah. didn't know that path. And, uh, you know, it just, it's, it, it's always iteratively transforming. Mm-hmm. So any business where we are, you know, what get, what get you here may not take you there, you know, so it's always being iterative and, and uh, it still is to, to this day, 20 years later. Yeah. And during that time in 2003, was it, uh, was it a time where entrepreneurship was a popular concept or was it a little bit more strange? Because today, of course, entrepreneurship is very much popularized with the power of social media, with so many uh, influencers that are out there promoting this lifestyle. But I'm sure in 2003, the landscape was much different. So what was it like back then when you were getting to entrepreneurship? Yeah, another great question. So um, there definitely was um, it's, uh, entrepreneurship and, and startups were really associated at that time with Silicon Valley and, mm. you know, tech startups. You'd have that yeah. first sort of wave and then dot-com kind of boom. So you had companies like Google that were pretty new um, and Yahoo and others that were sort of, you know, starting to dominate. And um, and then there was a whole, you know, there was a bubble. And then um, there was a, you know, I sort of came a little bit after that. and But it was mm. pre kind of, you know, it was pre-Web 2. So it was kind of, you know, before Facebook, before Instagram, before real YouTube was a thing. And so it was a very fertile time. It was very exciting. And entrepreneurship was, um, I, I didn't, re- I wasn't really familiar with the, the word so much, or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around an entrepreneurial culture. I was based in uh, Sydney, Australia, and I really had to go looking and finding. And really, it was more at that time business, like I need to learn about business. So I actually enrolled in an MBA. I lasted one, I think one semester, a few projects. And I was like, no, I got to get back to my company. Like I'm going to learn by doing. It was kind mm-hmm. of the the thing. And um, uh, but it was you know that sort of thread of being interested in uh, startups really grew and grew and grew. Especially as firstly I had some clients that were startups, and I started being around people that were I was like very impressed by. It. And then really got more heavily interested in like you know lean uh, lean startups and you know the the kind of popularization of uh, lean canvas and and this movement. Especially when I moved to the Bay Area in San Francisco for a while, um, and really got to be around, you know, lots of great entrepreneurs and thinkers. And um, these days, I'd kind of more think about an entrepreneurial mindset. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, committing to start your own startup is wonderful and exciting. But like everyone will also share, it's very, it's incredibly demanding. You know, it's Correct. it's a it's, it's a wild journey if you're going to sign up for that. But by embracing, I think, an entrepreneurial approach to whatever you're working on is very powerful and. Uh, I think I've, I've had that for a long time and I'm sure many others on the, the podcast have as well. You know, that actually brings me perfectly to my next question, which I was really excited to ask you, which is you are going through this journey of building a business at a time where there isn't social media. There aren't all these uh, available amenities and tools that make the journey easier right now, right? Than it's ever been before. And you're going through this. And as you mentioned, it's an arduous journey. There are multiple challenges that entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. 
how did you even find the time to then take some introspection or an introspective look within yourself and go on a personal journey to find Islam and to spiritually discover yourself? Where did you find the mm. time in between building your business? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you know, the spiritual path and the journey that we all face is, is directly linked to our, you know, ex- our daily experience in our life. You know, it's, it's the mm-hmm. challenges that you face or opportunities you're given. You're always reflecting on sometimes worrying about, you know, other times, you know, you know, delighted by um, that's directly affects your emotional state. And, and, and you're, you're constantly reevaluating, your, you know, your why and your and your thinking, I think, as you mature as well. Um, looking at problems and difficulties in different light so that, you know, now, you know, in my humble my understanding in the Islamic tradition of, you know, well, there's a hikmah to it. There's a wisdom to these challenges, even if um, right when they're happening to you, they're incredibly difficult to face. So I think um, actually it's been, an, it's just a very natural organic integration of my trajectory of the creative path and entrepreneurial path and the spiritual path. And I think what, what I found a little bit missing, though, or, you know, or I wasn't finding personally, was, was the, the discourse and the discussion directly at, at the intersection of the two. So, mm. I, for, for example, I, you know, I was very fortunate to spend time with amazing scholars and thinkers and, you know, spend a lot of time with people that had done traditional study in Mauritania or in Syria or in different places and, and, and benefited from their wisdoms. Um, but all my entrepreneurial kind of design um, technical knowledge was coming from, you know, the leading, you know, different design teams. I spent some time at, you know, Stanford D School and other places. But I, I really struggled to find content that was well versed in these two. So that really has become the theme, I think, in my last decade is like just asking questions from these two spheres of people, two groups of people, and and looking for good examples of those that, um, you know, those that do understand those those two well. And they mm-hmm. do exist in history, but present day, as you said earlier, I think there's a real flourish of entrepreneurs that are, I, I, I call it, you know, like-hearted or working from the heart um, that have this like-hearted vision, not necessarily like-minded because people might think differently, but like-hearted in their vision for, you know, bringing values and wholesomeness to entrepreneurship. So that's really encouraging. I'm, I'm really happy to see that transformation. Yeah, definitely. SubhanAllah. And, you know, in that time, you didn't have social media to get clients. You didn't have the tools we have available today. I'm just curious for the people listening, because we might learn a lesson or two. What were your strategies to go and get business back then, right? Where you couldn't just put up a post on Instagram. It was way different. So what were you doing at that time? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this. Even in today's hyper-digital age where, you know, how many millions of people are living on discord or living on, you know, you know, our social apps every day. Um, it's still always about people. It's always mm-hmm. about people. So early on in my journey, um, very early on, but long before social, um, you know, I remember asking different people that run different businesses, not in design, but just different things. I was always curious. And um, one of them said like, well, look, you know, I asked them advice. What's your, you know, you've had a successful business over many years. And I said, well, it's about people. Just remember that, you know? So if you look after people, they'll remember that. You know, and it's that's true today as, you know, as it was before. So um, in those early days, it was a lot of face-to-face meetings and visits. Like you'd spend a lot of the week 
you know, trying to go and meet people and convince them you're not just this, you know, hack university student in design, which I kind of was. Um, um, and then at the same time, you know, go home and do the work at night and work all night trying to, you know, figure out, okay, I hope, I hope uh, Illustrator doesn't crash. I hope I can make this concept of this packaging and be creative and then, you know, be back on the road the next day and visiting and, sh and showing people like printing things out. Um, increasingly that came through, you know, more into email and, and that changed things, which was awesome. I mean, I'm sounding really old at this point. I'm just realizing, <laughs> but that was really the first, like, you know, probably the first few years and then really, a, you know, transformed. So I was just fortunate to be putting that time, but it's just those relationships and, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm, I feel incredibly blessed. I was just reflecting this morning that some of those relationships, you know, kindle at that time, you know, God sends you people to you um, into your life. And, you know, I still have those relationships today. And I've had, you know, many instances where 10 years later, a client will come back or someone will ask for a project and they might be on a different project or a different brand. But, um, you know, there's a trust there with you as a person that you'll deliver or commit to it if, if your team's available to, um, to do a good job. And yeah. uh, even though back then the formats and channels might have changed to today, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just building those relationships with people. Yeah, no, I actually think this is amazing advice. And it's what we need to hear more of because a lot of times we kind of get fooled into thinking, well, now it's all about, you know, uh, being an influencer and it's all about, you know, creating viral reels and being on TikTok and whatever new social media just popped up. But at the end of the day, and this is something that I really try to drill into my students as well, is that any successful business is only built on successful client results. If your clients aren't getting the result, then you won't have a successful business. And I feel like we're kind of losing that in this day and age where it's more about uh, the branding and like the face of the business than actually having happy customers on the back end. And within that discussion, tell us about that a little bit. Tell us about branding and tell us how you work with your clients to help them with their branding. What is it that you do at Gold Studio that is so impactful for these businesses? Yeah, no, I appreciate the reflection. Uh, well, it's really starting exactly what you said, you know, to, to come back to first principles or basics, mm -hmm. you know, is that, you know, why are you being approached and, and what's your, what's your, why are you aligned on being together and, and knowing that from the, the, the you know, the outset, um, that's really important setting those kind of expectations. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes be a bit open-ended, but there's got to be enough trust that, you know, the individuals know that, listen, I'm really going to work well for you. I'm going to deliver with Ahsan, you know, with excellence. Um, our team is going to bring, you know, our craftsmanship to this project um, and we're going to ask a certain budget for it. But, you know, there's a trust that based on, you know, 20 years of doing this for, alhamdulillah, you know, many hundreds of different brands, um, we're going to really deliver those results that you, you expect this growth or, you, you know, hoping for more awareness here or a different kind of experience. So in, in design teams uh, now, you know, branding is a small piece of this, but really it's a lot of these activities and experiences and interactive experiences that people are looking for. So for example, last year, um, we started um, a campaign for Greenpeace, so a global um, organization uh, focusing on climate change. They asked us to help with their Ramadan strategy and strategy with Muslim audiences, because they know that globally they have many uh, Muslim constituents, you know, from Indonesia to, to Istanbul. And they, they looked and said, look, Gould, we, we see that you have that um, kind of awareness and looking at common threads of different Muslim communities globally. Can you help us design um, to increase our engagement and reach and affect climate action? So mm -hmm. alhamdulillah, we started uh, last year. We had a really successful uh, initial um, Ramadan experience. We grew the relationship. And this year, we've really doubled down on it. We've, you know, we've grown the 
um, the, the, the platform, the activities, the, the level of people now supporting that, um, the different kind of influencers that have, you know, many millions of followers and now on board because they've also seen that, that trajectory of, of change and growth. So mm. it's, it's really just, you know, it's building that relationship. And that's also always tested when things that, you know, if something happens as a challenge, there's you know, a server goes down, you know, things, things happen. Um, so the relationship has really grown through that difficulty as well. And to show professionalism, to show, um, you know, the right, you know, approach to whatever the challenge might be. Uh, and then celebrate the wins together when you see, you know, uh, tens of thousands of young people committing to change um, their, their climate um, based uh, habits during Ramadan. That's a beautiful thing, you know, 100%. Alhamdulillah, definitely. So walk me through this a little bit because a lot of people might, th- you know, hear design agency, they might th- essentially understand like, okay, cool. You're going to help me design a logo. Maybe, you know, help me with like my color palette, but I'm sure. And I'm, I know this, that you do much more than that. So walk us through, what does your agency actually do with its clients? Because, you know, as you mentioned, you work with the Greenpeace and you've worked on this entire campaign. So clearly it's a lot more than just the visuals. So what aspects of design are you actually tackling and working on with your clients? So we really need to first understand and embrace design is what design is change design mm-hmm. is problem solving. Uh, and that's very broad and it can be done by really anyone with it, with the right mindset, you know, design as a transformational kind of mindset. So if you bring a kind of designer mindset to something, you're looking at our, you know, questions first, are we solving the right problem? Uh, are we solving it in the right way? So, um, you know, sometimes that will involve aspects of visual design, like what's the identity, what's the creative communication. That's definitely quite central to most of the projects that we do. But a lot of the time it's, it's you know, most of the effort is in that strategic approach firsthand. So doing research, understanding who the audiences are, what's actually useful and relevant to them, what's gonna resonate with them. Um, you know, look, thinking about the, the customer experience, you know, which is called CX or user experience called UX, which is more the digital, what's the product side, you know, all of that kind of work, you know, 80% of the success of the project could, could be just in that thinking and understanding the strategy. That's design, that's strategic design. So when people often think day-to-day of design, they might think fashion design, visual design, graphic design, interior design, that's great, that's all fine. But really design in, in the context of a design team like ours is understanding the problem well, creatively addressing that, bringing the right technology, innovation, but an understanding of the people and what's going to resonate. You know, you can, how many times I think we've all seen this, people get in their mind like, I'm going to go build this great app. I've got this idea of what it's going to look like, how it's going to work. And I'll spend six months or a year or two building the thing and then thinking, ah, oh, why isn't it working? I don't have enough marketing. I need funding. But really, they haven't understood the, the problem in the first instance well. And the people, is it, you know, is it really solving it? Is it solving the right needs? So strategic design is, is where we focus first. Uh, and, and oftentimes now we get approached just for that piece. Um, and then the organization might or even have their own, you know, visual designers or, you know, d- you know development designers to actually, you know, build out um, the thing. But they need the, the strategy first. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'm uh, really interested in the topic that you just shared, because when you when you look at design and all its aspects, as you mentioned, it's so much more than the visuals and it dives into the strategy, the user experience. And pretty much it's it's like you're designing the journey that the customer will go through or the person will go through when they're met with this marketing campaign or it's, it's really an experience. You're trying to think of what is it, what is it that this person will experience? What, what is it that this person will feel and experience when they go through um, this marketing sequence? Or, you know what, this 
business uh, product or this thing that we're building essentially. And you're then trying to map out, well, this is how we want them to feel. This is all the stages that we have. And looking at, you know, your methodology for implementing all this within businesses, looking at your approach, would you feel that there's any sources of inspiration or maybe any other entrepreneurs, any other great designers that you look up to that you, that you pull from when it comes to your own way of doing things? So in the last probably five years in particular, I've been on a little bit of a personal search for who are the, who are, who are those leaders and thinkers mm. and role models that we can ask that understand the spiritual reality and, you know, the, the faith tradition that we, uh, you know, we adhere to uh, and, and draw our own, you know, our own kind of uh, approach to life from but also understand the potential and the reality of our environment today. We have a very commercial, distracted environment. Um, you know, so many of us are just digitally addicted daily, and that's all by design. All these products have been designed for attention, designed for distraction. Uh, we all know that, and it's also something we just live in day to day. And not to mention on top of that, you know, the continual, you know, very, um, you know, niche targeted advertising that we all kind of experience as well. So the question then becomes, okay, we, we're obviously partaking in that whether we want to or not. It's just how we live and work and communicate is on, it's on in digital platforms, for example. Um, so if we are going to take on the amana, the responsibility of creating and stepping into that world and now creating products and brands and experiences ourselves, are we contributing to the noise and contributing to distraction? Um, or are we looking at, okay, these are the kind of tools and strategies we, need, we know that we need to use to reach people, mm -hmm. but rather than in a manipulative way saying, hey, well, you should really buy this or make your life better. How can we have, as one of my teachers explained it, a way to share our service or product we believe, inshallah, is best fit for purpose. So we think we have a really good product or idea or service that we think is, you know, is best suited genuinely to the people we want to serve or the communities we want to uplift or empower, or the organizations that we want to help, you know, inspire their, uh, their members. Um, so it's reframing um, design from when I kind of first encountered it, which is very commercial. How do you sell? How do we get more users, more growth? How do we just build on shareholder value? But I kind of think of it now as a, what is a heart-centered approach? So I've been writing and researching what I call the heart of design. And I've been asking, I've done about 40 interviews in the last few years of a range of entrepreneurs, thinkers, creatives who are really at this intersection of, of design, entrepreneurship and spirituality. Uh, inshallah, the book will come out uh, this year. If I can maybe finish it in Ramadan, we'll see. Amazing, um, mashallah. What do you plan to call it? <laughs> I'm asking. The heart of design. The heart of design. Well, the Beautiful. Heart, heart of design, yeah. So, and, and humble, I've also been teaching some of that content the last couple of years um, with some programs I've been running as experiments. And I know the, the feedback's been really positive. It's been you know, a good response. So particularly a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs from around the world have, have signed up to that, um, the Heart of Design program. So that one's called the Heart of Design, Design as a Spiritual Practice. And that's a five-week oh. program that um, I've just you know, been sort of running as a, as a bit of learning and to iterate uh, the content. How did so, I not know about this? Yeah. I, I want this. Did you still <laughs> offer this? <laughs> Yeah, it is around. I haven't like okay. you know been you know heavily uh, you know pushing it and and it, but but it's people find it. Um, so yeah, thehardofdesign.com um, okay. is that. And yeah, the next cycle will probably be mid year. So we just finished one I think last month. We'll take a break for Ramadan. And yeah, okay. you should, we should we have around you know um, forty to fifty 
uh, a range of professionals or aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, but, you know, I've had humbler people from Google and Apple join and others. And they've invited me, Humbler, to give workshops on this to, to their organization. So um, in terms of what is a heart-centered approach. And by heart-centered, I, I usually think about, you know, how might we think of the word uh, baraka in the design process? Or how might we think of the word ikhlas or niya, you know, actively when we're trying to design a product or when we're trying to um, think about the strategy of our, of our people and our users. So that's that's the kind of heart-centeredness of, uh, that I'm trying to explore through, you know, kind of re- reframing design to be more holistic. I love that. I love that, mashallah. And I'm uh, definitely going to check that out, theheartofdesign.com. So thank you for sharing that with me. So I want to ask you, I'm guessing then that probably when you're looking at brands, one that was really interesting to me that I absolutely loved was Salam Sisters. And I was always wondering, what was the process and the, inspira- the inspiration uh, behind designing uh, brands like this, right? Um, I, w- I would love, I would love your answer because I'm, I'm guessing now that I'm hearing you, there was definitely a heart-centered design approach when it came to working with a brand like that. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So, Salam Sis has been one of my favorite projects of all time, um, and you know, it was directly inspired by my two daughters. So, I have two girls, and when they were a little younger, they used to play a lot with dolls. They used to, you know, like all younger kids have. Um, you know, interaction with a whole range of brands like, you know, usually Disney, Hasbro, Mattel, Spin yeah. Master, they kind of control the the content of what most young people see, um, you know, with various channels plus plus YouTube. Uh, and then the toy industry is pretty tightly held um, by these corporations. So uh, I could definitely feel that there wasn't the kind of representation or inclusion. There were not cool Muslim characters in there. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that these brands were anti that or opposed to it but you just didn't get you you just didn't get that representation it's getting a little better now by the way but at the time no so um initially i actually created um a concept for an app called salam sisters and i put it on launch good um i was one of the very first campaigns years ago i think it's like 2014 you know pretty early um 2013 i can't remember exactly um and i just thought well people like this idea so i call it salam sisters it was a story of these five girls and you know they their different attributes and personality different cultural backgrounds that were represented um that campaign people liked it we built the app it was very simple and it was one of my first kind of game design projects so we didn't really know what we we're doing to be honest we would you know just kind of got it going but what the value there was the idea and the concept and the stories of these characters so um, I then we took a couple of years and eventually worked then to sort of form a new startup called Zalige, um that was separate to the studio, which was to focus on okay, let's get some funding and actually build this properly. So we we did, alhamdulillah, we built them as toys, as you know, big you know, full size you know, eighteen inch play dolls, um, and we took them to the world's biggest toy fair, um, you know, called Spielwarenmess in in Germany. Um, we we sold out all the first production. Um, and there's a lot of love for that brand. Um, a lot of hard work on the way, great team, you know, a lot of individual specialists from different countries to help you know, make something like that happen. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that to me is an example of um, really heart-centered design and using, um, you know, the intersection of, of entrepreneurship, design, strategy, um, but also, you know, how do we make a product that people love that you can put on your shelf and people just have an instant sort of emotional reaction to and that's what happened. That's why Humble ended up getting a lot of press and uh, a lot of interest to, continues to this day. Would you say that the process of seeing something like this come to life is what keeps you going? Because I'm curious to know what makes you tick. 
right now? What is it that keeps you going and keeps that fire inside of you? Because you've been doing this for almost 20 years now and mashallah, you are not slowing down. What's your secret? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Look, I think there's there's no secret. Like, first of all, you know, it's all barakah from God. You know, it, it's, it is there. You can never claim you know, success of, of your own. And if anything that you do is, is gifted to you. Um, at the same time, you know, I asked one of my teachers about this idea of tawakkal, right? You know, reliance and, and something I struggled with for a while to understand, well, does that mean I have to give like more or surrender more? Like, you know, what's the tension between the two? Like as an entrepreneur, it's, it becomes very, you know, relevant. It's like, okay, how much do I kind of push and hustle and kind of make this happen versus, no, no, my rizq is written and, you know, I just will try a few things and it's really not up to me. So there is this ongoing, you know, creative tension. It's, I think, you know, and we lean into this kind of exploration during the heart of design, for example. And um, one of my teachers said, look, Peter, um, you, you understand the definition of tawakkal, but also tawakkal includes using the talents and gifts and opportunities that God has gifted to you. So using your the contacts and people come to you, using your, your platform, and if you have reach, using your Wi-Fi or your coffee or your location, that's all the tawakkal comes through that, right? It's not just this abstract concept. So um, with that in mind, you have to continually think about the opportunities gifted to the people that come to you um, and just the fact that we can have a whole day to to um, breathe and healthily and work with the team, that's a huge amana. So I think we'll be questioned, what are you doing with that? Who are you serving? And that doesn't mean you just, all right, that's it. We're just going to do work for nonprofits and kind of, you know, sit on a mountain. And, you know, it's it's more, I think the potential for, for entrepreneurship and, and design is transformative for our Ummah and our, and our global communities. I think it's a really incredible path, but we have to be careful, you know, continually checking Ania on, you know, it needs to be commercially sustainable. It needs to be, you know, something that's healthy and wholesome that can benefit and employ many people and impact the world. But, you know, you can't lose your sense of purpose and why. So coming back to your question, I think it's continually looking at, you know, what, what I would like to work on that I think needs to be built. So recently a Tales of Khayal uh, comic series that we're developing, which, you know, inshallah might be a video game one day, that comes from a place of recognizing that, you know, I really feel we're underserving content, you know, sophisticated uh, Muslim inspired creative content. So we should develop that. Um, and uh, that's been the theme, you know, is this continual look at what problems need to be solved mm. and can we have inf some influence on that? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, but also trying to just be a dad with my three kids and be, you know, a husband that's present. Like it's, it's, a, it's a game of work-life integration. And, you know, and uh, I think the spiritual path is, is so central to keeping yourself grounded in, in that journey. I honestly really feel like that's so beautiful, brother. Like when you put it, when you put it that way, and even thinking to myself as an entrepreneur and why I built Entrepreneur in the first place, it definitely stemmed from this place where I felt like there was a gap in the support for Muslim entrepreneurs and the ability for Muslim entrepreneurs to get the inspiration they needed, the information they needed, the value they needed. And so I, alhamdulillah, had that business experience and I built successful businesses and I said, okay, well, this is the logical next step. Even if I might not be uh, Warren Buffett or someone who's built a billion dollar business, but can I do what I can right now to help support Muslim entrepreneurs in my own way? And hearing you talk about, you know, your why and what is it that drives you really, subhanAllah, it's, it's something that is so Islamic at its core, because at the end of the day, 
as you mentioned, it's about finding what are gaps within the community, within our society, within the world as a whole, and how can we fill those gaps and bring solutions to the table? And this is at a time where a lot of people who are supposed to be bringing the solutions, such as government organizations and politicians have filled us. And so now as entrepreneurs, we have taken the mantle and decided, well, can we bring our own solutions if ours, our, the solutions won't be given to us? We need to do something about it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's, it's ultimately, it still comes back to people. So how mm-hmm. are you serving people? And there are different channels and labels that you can use for that. And again, design is a very broad term. So governments mm-hmm. can design. Absolutely, they, you know, apps all the time. Um, educational institutions, you know, design all the time. They're designing the programming. They're designing what, you know, where, you know people are learning. Um, so if you're going to call yourself a design team, you know, you have to be willing to, you know, lean into different problems, um, sometimes for, with clients that you're servicing and others, or, or it might be communities, or organizations that you donate time to. Um, and sometimes it's like, okay, we're, no one's asking us to build this or serve people in this way. Bismillah, we're going to try and do it ourselves. All right. And sometimes that's a little bit bold and audacious and, and it needs to be sometimes to just, you know, um, take a little bit of a leap of faith. So, yeah, but I, I do I do think, um, you know, there is this transformative potential. But I, I think one thing to remember that one of my teachers reminded me of not so long ago is, um, especially as entrepreneurs, right, is, it, you know, he, I was talking about something, you know, he's very different. And he goes, Peter, you think you're working on this business and this product and you're talking about this or that, but it's working on you right? You think you're working on it, it's working on you. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a continual reframing of understanding our, our, our spiritual path and our entrepreneurial path are, are interconnected in that, you know, we are have to be in this state of, of checking why we're doing it, what we're doing it for. It, it's, an, it's an ongoing thing. I've just accepted that, you know, um, this is other concept of, of law, right? Of just, you know, grace and acceptance and surrender. And um, one of my teachers explained what law, I was asking him is, you know, law is accepting every decision that's ever been made in human history and every decision that will ever be made in the future. That is surrender. I was like, Oof, that's like a deep concept. And it kind of grounds you and brings you back to your, you know, your individual, um, you know, you, you can think way too much of what our impact is and, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, overstate that importance. But like you said, you know, it's that starfish principle of like, okay, you know, that story, there's two people walking on the beach and it's full of all these starfish that have washed up and they're all, they're all dying sadly. And these two people are walking and one guy's like, um, uh, and one guy starts picking up one every so often, just throwing it, pick up a starfish, throw it back in the water. So it continues to live. And the other guy's like, what are you doing that for? Like, just wasting your time. They're all going to die. And he picks up one, looks at it, throws it back in. Well, it saved that one. So, you know, it's one at a time, like one yeah. at a time. Um, what are we contributing to? And, and it's okay to not think of your startup as a billion dollar um, unicorn. Like that's, mm-hmm. I think, the wrong way to think about entrepreneurship. Yeah. You know, if that comes, and I've seen that come to entrepreneurs, I know, mashallah, I've been very successful. But, you know, think about just your individual effort um, in, in this constant, you know, in, in, inner dialogue of like, okay, what really am I trying to focus on? And focusing less on defining that specific outcome that has to be that at all costs, but more, I think of it as more of a transformative process rather than transactional. So it's not like I build this, you know, I get on the front of Forbes. No, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I I start my intention with this and weekly and daily, I'm going to work on this thing 
and navigate through this towards this distant mountain. Um, but it's transformative. I'm working on it. It's working on me. And Correct. inshallah, it'll be great for, for everyone. Correct. I think one question that I find myself asking every so often as an entrepreneur is, who do I need to be to get to that next step, to achieve that next level? Because within anything you want to build, and especially within business, it is usually not the business itself that is the limitation, but rather you as the business owner, entrepreneur, CEO, and working on yourself to find out what are what are the areas within you that you should improve on will then allow you to achieve that next level in your business. And a lot of times it is within us. And so I really find that as an interesting perspective to look at business is not something that only you work on, but also as something that works on you. I've never thought about that before. When you put it that way, it's very, very eloquent. And I think you're putting words to thoughts that I've always had. I've never really been able to communicate. So I appreciate that. I want to no, ask I'm, you one I'm, more. Just, I'm passing yeah. it on. <laughs> you know, this is it's it's you know, I'm asking just you know, it's always being and and and, and you know, extending on that, it's it's the sahaba, right? It's the companions that you are around that yeah. directly influence your thinking and decisions. And it's really important in entrepreneurship, as you would know, um, yeah. to have the right sahaba, the right companionship on the path, or you'll be finished really quick. You need them mm -hmm. for resilience, but also to challenge you, critique you. And uh, I have a I have a friend. I call her my strategic auntie. And mashallah, she's very successful. Um, you know, she has, I think, over 40 properties. She's had businesses. Um, but you would just see her making chai and, you know, just having, you know, very beautiful auntie-like qualities. And, um, you know, she says, Peter, you always, need, you always need a friend to give you a push when you need it, right? You need a friend to, you know, she, she said, she described the different types of friends you need. And one she said is you need a friend to give you a kick in the behind when you need it, <laughs> right? And if you do need that, so you know especially when things look like they're going well you need to just stay stay grounded um so you're yeah, having that sahaba that mentorship um is is uh, essential i think to keep us uh, you know oriented the right way 100 percent, i completely agree i wanted to ask you and take this opportunity to maybe share with our audience some common design mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners are making right now and this could be really in any uh, within any aspect of design, whether it's the actual design itself, whether it's, as you mentioned, the customer journey design or product design, what are some common mistakes that you're finding right now in the market? Yeah, I think um, it, it, let's take a look at there's different parts of that spectrum. So a lot mm -hmm. of people may be starting out or thinking of building their product or business will often still think of design in terms of design is the visual, you know, visual activity. Okay. I need how I brand it and how, what identity I create, what's my website look like. Those things are important but they're not as important as you might think in terms of the, the hierarchy. They're important, you know, that first impression is important, but people really are ultimately gonna be um, connecting to your product experience, you know, to your brand experience, to the customer journey more broadly. So for example, I take, you know, let's say, look at something like Lego. I don't love Lego and play with Lego because of the logo, right? The logo is just the logo. It's the gateway to the brand. It, rem it reminds mm -hmm. me of that experience. So it, is, it, is, it has value. But, you know, think of, invest your design in uh, your design activity in the product experience, in the brand experience. So what would make someone so delighted to use it? Or what's going to make them talk about it to others? It's not going to be like, oh my God, guys, I found this brand. It's so good. Look how good the logo is. Look how good the website is. It's not that. It's the product experience, what it means to them. Uh, for a lot of Muslim entrepreneurs, um, depending on where you're focusing, um, you know, your effort, if you are thinking about, you know, a Muslim audiences, for example, you have this incredible advantage because already you have this like-hearted alignment with a lot of the customers you're speaking to. 
um, uh, you know, for example, if you're, you know, you're talking about different kind of um, faith-based activities or spiritual aspirations that Muslims might have in Ramadan, at the same time, we have to tread very carefully because if you're using that to, you know, if you're banking on that to create the value rather than the product itself by saying, hey, look, you're Muslim, buy this thing, um, it, you know, then it becomes just like a Christmas-like activity where it's like, hey, I'm going to sell a uh, you know, I'm selling guitars. Yeah, it's Christmas. You know, here's a guitar sale. Like it's, you know, it's so be careful in what we're designing that we don't, you know, we don't um, completely step outside what those spiritual aspirations are for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, yeah, just just coming back to thinking about the um, design and what how people are thinking of it is just don't limit your understanding of design to its visual aspect or the creative activity. Think of it as problem solving at every part of your journey. How you ship products to customers, or how do you deliver online? What is your, um, you know, what what do people like when they um, interact with you through email or through your social channels? Um, that is part of the design process. Every stage of that entire journey, you need to consider and design well, and uh, and continually listen, 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 listen to your customers and users, and keep iterating. That's design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's it's interesting because it's it's really this. This concept, or I would even see this concept, but this this framework of listening to feedback and iterating is one of the most basic frameworks in business. It is one of the core elements of business. And it is the one that I will usually find myself repeating most often when working with entrepreneurs. I feel like there's this shift towards really building something that isn't necessarily of value and putting it out to the market and then working mostly on the branding side, the marketing side. And we're losing the art of working on, as you mentioned, the product design, the customer experience design. And what is the result? What is the feeling? What is the experience of our customers when they use our products and services, which is far more important? Yeah. And and you have to put a lot less value on just the idea right? The idea people think, oh, I've got this idea, that's it, now I just need to build it and I'm going to be successful, right? That part, just build it, right? I mean, I read even recently a, a Steve Jobs quote, which always come out on LinkedIn every day, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but it was by someone I really, really respect. He's very successful. He built a, a digital company that was acquired by Shopify. He's now very senior at Shopify and leads up their Web3 and NFT team, which is really impressive. Oh, wow. Anyway, nice. good, good, good brother. Um, actually, he's in Canada there with you. You guys should connect. Um, he, um, anyway, so I've learned a lot of things from him, but it was a Steve Jobs quote that he shared. Um, and it was really just a reminder of like, you know, the idea has value, but it's really in how you build. It's the process of the 5,000 decisions that you need to make to execute along the way to make that actually simple and beautiful and something that people resonate with quickly and simply that design process, that's the magic. And that takes an incredible amount of work and every other emotion you need to, to, to do that successfully. hundred percent. And I actually wanted to ask you that, but I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I'm like, you know what, since you mentioned Steve Jobs, I'm going to ask you anyway. So I, I had it in the back <laughs> of my mind when you were talking about like your journey through uh, building your, your agency from the ground up uh, gold studio and, you know, all the different steps that you, that you've been through much throughout these years, because you've witnessed, uh, the rise of social media as a vehicle and, uh, what we currently use now versus when you first started, as you mentioned, it was more word of mouth. It was more, well, it still is about the people, but it was more organic than it is, than it is today. And today is much more online throughout this journey that you went through. 
if I recall correctly, was also during a period where Steve Jobs was just releasing the iPhone, right? And it was a revolutionary product. It was a product where when released, it was like, wow, this whole concept. Initially, it was more about technology and about what it could fulfill. And let's make it have 100 use cases. And then Steve Jobs came and he's like, no, the design is to be, a, the idea behind this design is to be as simple as possible, as user-friendly as possible, as minimalistic as possible. And that's what the iPhone is going to be. No buttons, right? Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to know, I was very curious to ask you, for you as a designer looking at that and looking at how you know, Apple went on to develop uh, you know, and now become a billion dollar company, did that shift your idea of what design is? Because I know for me, I draw a lot of inspiration from that in terms of the way that I would approach anything related to design right now within my company in a more minimalistic way, really less is more. Whereas before, I didn't really have that, that view on things. So I think Steve, when Steve Jobs is famous for, he was famous for, you know, not listening to user groups, all right, and not mm -hmm. doing these focus groups of what we should do next, right? And this is goes a little bit in the face of like, okay, well, what does that mean for user research then? You know, hang on, you're just saying, listen to your customers and what they want and build that. But then Apple, arguably, you know, the most well-known um, design-driven company in the world, um, they, you know, are famous for, you know, for seemingly coming out with these genius products. So the, the understanding there is that what Apple understood really well, and I think Steve personally from, from all my readings and, and people that knew him as well and interacted with him, um, is that, well, they understood very well at that time, people wanted a thousand songs in their pocket, right? That was the promise of the original iPod. It wasn't, hey, we want a device that looks like this with a circle wheel and has this and has an app store that looks like that. Apple designed that product experience, but they understood the, prom the, the product well, the, pro the problem and the timing. And they continually got that right over you know, that, that decade, which was, which was amazing to, to witness actually, as someone who's designed, you know, had been a, um, always you know, enthusiast in, in different Apple products over the years. Um, and, and I was living, for example, in, in the Bay Area in San Francisco when the iPad came out on day one. So I just like all these other like, you know, um, foolhardy uh you know enthusiasts went out and and got the ipad on day one and now we just sort of it's funny to even call it the ipad but right at the time that tablet in that form was a really big deal and i remember coming back to australia like you know, i had to come back for a month later you know and and walking into a place and you know it was a little bit um silly probably but i would bring it and you know my kids would muck around with it and people would like gather around and go oh is that the ipad yeah. <laughs> right and this is this is only like 10 years ago or something like you know and tablets are just part of life now at work you can imagine school classrooms without them now um so to see that change and then design led decisions through that process of course they make a lot of decisions that are really um unfair uh mm -hmm. apple you know very you know let's let's not talk you know but i think um it's uh it has, I think, helped for the masses that it's given people an example of product design and an ecosystem to refer to. So I do yeah. use Apple as examples in my workshops because people know what I'm talking about and they go, oh, yeah. So it's a design mature organization, whether you get something repaired or whether you go into the store or whether you download something from the App Store. There is a feeling of design integration and maturity that they've considered every step of that process. Um, and even the people that supply Apple or work with them you know, all the employees, um, all parts of that process, um, or when you order a part, where it comes from, at what part of the supply chain, it's got a, a very high level of design integration and design maturity. 
So mm-hmm. the question in the learning for us with our much smaller organizations is what level of design maturity could we achieve in it, even in our small scale, scale, even if you have, say, you know, two employees or 20 or 50, is how well have we designed the onboarding process for new employees? How well have we designed um, the experience by which uh, our customers get their invoices, for example? Um, this is applying design thinking, problem solving to each of those stages and you'll start looking and feeling like a more organized, um, you know, mm-hmm. a more professional organization just through that process. Yeah, definitely. What's in store for Gold Studio in the future? What's next for you also as an entrepreneur? Is there anything that you're working on personally that you can share with us? So there's three things. Um, the first of just building out, continuing to build out our studio and, and work for, you know, the, the kinds of brands that we want to help serve their, their audiences. So, you know, I always just find that spark 20 years later. And, and that's humble. We're getting uh, a lot of interest from, you know, very interesting organizations. Um, two is I want to finish the, the hard design book. So just trying to build out that, um, that content. Um, and the second one's actually, the last one's actually two parts. One is uh, Tales of Khayal. So this is an imaginative comic series that we've just launched. I hope to build that over time and explore. Potentially that could be more animation or that could be a game, but you know, that's, that's going to be a bit of a journey. Allah um, And the final one, we've invested a lot of time the last maybe six months in exploring and embracing Web3 tech. So mm-hmm. we've been asked a couple of times to work on NFT projects. Uh, we've just been collaborating very closely the last few months on one that's that I think is really promising and uh, has already proven to be very, uh, very high demand. So um, I think that we'll, we'll, you know, we again, it comes back to people. What, what, how are we serving people and bringing that, you know, like-hearted approach to it. But also knowing that the zeitgeist of the day right now for a lot of people is in the Web three space and thinking mm-hmm. about that whole new horizon. Um, how will we bring in our heart-centered approach to Web three? That's yeah. the big question. Definitely. And I'm excited to see the answer, inshallah. So where should we lead people who are listening to this if they want to learn more about you, they want to support your work, or they might even want to work with you and get your support for, your, for their business? Yeah, cool. Um, just look me up, Peter Gould. There's actually two Peter Goulds. The other one's Academy Award winning who wrote uh, Breaking Bad. I'm not that one. He's a Hollywood guy. Although we follow each other on Twitter and sometimes retweet, which is kind of fun and confusing for everyone else. Nice. Um, <laughs> Um, um, just look me up usually on LinkedIn is the best place um, you know I post there usually once a week um, and Instagram uh, and then you'll find the web links from there okay awesome so make sure to go ahead and check that I will also include the links in the episode notes and description guys whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify Apple Podcasts make sure to go ahead and check that out and there is a question that I ask every single guest on this podcast before we wrap up the episode and I'm going to ask you the same if you would give if you could give one piece of advice for your 18 year old self and that's, you know, going to grow up and go, go through this whole journey of entrepreneurship and this whole journey of life. You would give him one piece of advice, something that he could hold on to throughout his journey. What would you tell him? 18 mm, year old me? Well, I hadn't quite encountered Islam fully at that point. So mm. I have to, I would have to say to 18 year old me, like, you know, Bismillah, keep going. Yeah. And I wouldn't know, know what that word is. <laughs> But I would have looked out for that word. And, and Bismillah is a very beautiful and encapsulates a lot of um, what we should be thinking about, I think, in entrepreneurships. I love that. Jazakallah khair for joining us, Peter. It was an absolutely amazing episode and a beautiful discussion. I look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. <laughs>
And you guys know the drill. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to go leave a rating and review of the podcast. Show us your support. And you can follow Omar Printer on any social media platform. Just search up Omar Printer. We'll drop the links for our guest, Brother Peter Gold, as well in the description, which you can go ahead and support and follow. And of course, if you'd like our support with your business, go check out omarprinter.com for all the resources we have available. And until then, we'll see you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa